Welcome to the Lead with Empathy podcast. I am your host, Holly Logan, and here we are going to have meaningful and hopefully some fun conversations about motherhood, parenthood, illness, disease, physical and mental wellness, nutrition, and beyond. And as the title implies, we lead here with empathy. With that said, let's dive into the episode. All right, everyone. Today we are talking about um, my experience with being diagnosed with celiac disease. And I want to preface this with saying I am not talking about my experience with celiac disease to give you all the woes of me not being able to eat gluten. That is not the goal. The goal here is to share, yes, what celiac disease is, but also some spread some awareness of who should be screened for it, why we should be screened for it, um, and to really have awareness that it is important and it is more than you just can't have uh, gluten. So, I'm going to start with my story to also teach you some pieces of why it's important. And this is going to play off well because I'm going to have someone on my podcast next who is experienced and a coach in the space of teaching people who are diagnosed with celiac disease. And we talk other things, food allergies and et cetera. But I wanted to share my experience with being diagnosed with celiac disease and why it is kind of important to my story in terms of even like healing with food. So we're going to go back to um, growing up. When I was a teenager, I remember going to my doctor at one point dealing with issues like constipation, diarrhea. Um, I know TMI, but just being honest, bloat, et cetera. And I had been, I guess, diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, which I've said on my social media before. It is not, irritable bowel syndrome is not a disease. It's a syndrome, which is a cluster of symptoms. And this very standard um, diag, or this very standard treatment for irritable bowel syndrome is providers will say, eat good, sleep good, hydrate and exercise. And I was doing all of those things. Um, But I always felt like I had deeper issues with my gut. And I remember asking about diagnosis or asking about screening for celiac disease because around me I had started to, I think this was around the time when gluten became more of a fad. And um, my provider had said, well, you can't have celiac disease because your mom doesn't have it. And I know my mom had been tested at one point for celiac disease and she indeed did not have celiac. So then there was no way that I could have it. And that was the teaching uh, and maybe belief like 15 plus years ago. But I wasn't screened for celiac disease then. And not that I can remember. And what I want you to remember is just because I wasn't screened then, it doesn't mean I actually had celiac disease, which I'll go into, but it doesn't mean I had it back then. I definitely did have irritable bowel syndrome caused from like a gut microbiome issue. And it could have been more complicated, I guess, because of gluten, but it did not mean that I had celiac disease or that I was missing it. Um, missing that diagnosis at that time. But I definitely had all these like struggles with my gut. So anyway, that was when I was in uh, like I would say I was a teenager and even going into college just always dealt with these symptoms of bloating, alternating severe constipation, diarrhea. I remember a couple of instances like there was one time I was so constipated after stress the stress of my friend's wedding that I had like severe severe belly pain and I was just in the toilet or in the bathroom and just like writhing in pain and I had never really experienced it to that degree before but it was pretty awful and as awful as this sounds I knew when I would get that constipated that one of the things that I could do to have relief was to eat really crappy food like going to a fast food joint and having like a really crappy breakfast or really crappy lunch. 
And within a few hours or more, like that would induce the grossness, like eating like or eating like chocolate and chips or things that were really like just junky would help me uh, as awful as that sounds. I remember saying that to my primary care um, being like, yeah, sometimes it's so bad that if I have to go, then I'll just eat this really crappy food. And then finally, I will have the opposite problem. And I remember him saying to me, like, well, at least you found the solution. And like, even I I mean, now I laugh at that. But at the time, even then, I was like embarrassed by it. Like, what do you mean I found the solution to my problem here? Going, having to go to a fast food joint and eating like gross cheeseburgers and um, chicken sandwiches and french fries and washing it down with with diet soda is not exactly a solution or an answer to me but whatever that's what i took what's what i knew at the time and then i was pushed you know to do a bunch of powders and things that i didn't want to do because it didn't get to the root cause and they honestly didn't work for me so i dealt with that all much of my life and then fast forward to um my wedding so i was under a lot of stress before my wedding and um admittedly i i was under too much stress and it was all stress i placed on myself and i shouldn't have acted like as stressed as i was there was definitely things i could have done but anyway during that time i do remember i was dealing with some intermittent abdominal pain and reflux and i was taking some intermittent meds for that because i was just dealing with the stress and pain and thought the reflux was all related And this was in early August. And I was at that time, like some of, I guess I would say my smallest, meaning like I was my wedding. So I had exercised a lot and was overall, quote unquote, healthy, but I had started to notice some reflux symptoms pretty significantly. So after my wedding, which was early August, here comes uh, October. And I am going to tell you something. And please I know there are a population of people who won't like me saying this, but this is just what happened. It was a Thursday and I got my flu shot and uh, I had not had, I'd only had one previous flu shot um, when I was in college and I had a really poor reaction to it, but I worked in um, an OB practice and thought, you know, I'm around pregnant women all the time. This is what I need to do. Everyone was doing it around me. So I got the flu shot. Within 12 hours was when my cascade of symptoms worsened and I later found out I had celiac disease. Now, if you're hearing that and thinking that's some anti-vaxxer statement, um, you have to recognize that this did happen. And this is my experience. I do not think that it was a coincidence uh, that this happened. And if you look at some of the risks associated with this, the flu vaccine, um, is triggering autoimmune disease. And now hear me too, that we've also found that um, things like the flu itself, the the virus, getting sick can induce things like celiac, like type 1 diabetes. Anything that kind of stimulates the immune system can cause those activations of whatever it is for those autoimmune diseases. So that's what happened. And by 4 a.m. the next morning, I was in writhing, severe, upper left quadrant pain. I am talking like rolling around on the floor. We lived in an apartment at the time, so I wasn't screaming, but I was moaning. And the only thing I could do at times was like pace. I remember I had friends on and I would just like clean and sweep the floor and At times it was coming in waves and I would just sit in front of the toilet thinking I was going to throw up and it was just this awful, writhing, severe upper left pain that kind of came in waves also with nausea and 
I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know if I was like coming down with a stomach bug, even though I'm really good with my body. And I really did not think it was the stomach bug. When you get the stomach bug, you get, um, you know, some like cramping and stuff. I didn't feel that way. This was pain. And it honestly almost felt like a panic attack as well. Like I was just so anxious and but there was pain associated with it, which with anxiety before I haven't had that significant amount of pain. So it was really bad. And I remember I did go to work. I spoke to my um, boss and I worked out back and just did like charting things. So I wasn't with patients. As I navigated, I called my primary care office and asked them if I could get some labs done before I made an appointment because I worked at a place that had a lab. So I might as well get the labs done before I saw him. Had everything screened. I'm not sure if I got celiac testing, to be honest, at that time. I was in so much pain. I just wanted to make sure like my pancreas was okay. I got all this lab work done. And then I made a follow-up appointment with my doctor. And when I saw him, he all the labs were normal. Didn't show I had an infection or anything like that. And it's funny looking back because he never even, like I think, did an exam on my belly and then wanted to schedule an x-ray. Like knowing what I know now, I I don't really know why he wanted to do that. Um, Maybe because lack of confidence, I don't know. And But did an x-ray of my belly. And interestingly, I remember reading the report later and it said for right lower quadrant pain, which is not true. Um, I had left upper quadrant pain. All of my labs were normal. The x-ray did not show anything on my belly. But what happens sometimes when we do these tests is we we find these other findings. And what happened was, so he called me and said, you know, your x-ray of your belly looks fine, but it is showing something in your spine, in your lower spine. And it's just an x-ray. So we don't know if you could have a, a you know, if it's just normal or you have a tumor in your back. And I, you can probably imagine here I am um, after my wedding newly married, young and otherwise healthy, in severe pain and being told, you know, you could have a tumor, instantly just like breaking down anxious. Um, My husband came home and it was just, we were all very like emotional. So I was scheduled for an MRI and the pain continued. And to describe the pain, it really still was like at night, sometimes I would get calm and I'd be comfortable and I could sleep until about four. And then for some reason at like 4 a.m., I would wake up, I'd be in this horrible pain, I'd pace, I'd, I wasn't really eating. Um, I would just like in the afternoon, sometimes I think I would probably eat something like a few crackers or whatever, but I had started to really like dive into what this could be. And I had read different things about um, like your stomach and what can help with the pain and discomfort. And I was actually doing tablespoons of honey. And that actually did help a little bit with the pain and nausea over time when I would do like shots of just spoonfuls of honey. Um, but I had my MRI and it just showed something which was like from chronic, I was a soccer goalie at one point. So I had lower back issues and that's all it was. So I did not have a tumor in my back. Um, but this was, so we figure we're in November and, um, a couple weeks in and I'm still dealing with this pain again, waxing and waning, sometimes severe, sometimes not. And finally, it got to the point where it was so severe that I like called to have a GI consult. And so I did get in with a gastroenterologist. She was a nurse practitioner and she was wonderful and didn't really have any answers other than it could be. um, I don't even remember, honestly, if celiac disease was mentioned. Maybe it's because I was tested. And then um, 
she, you know, one of the concerns was something called H. pylori infection, which is an infection you can get that can cause ulcers in the duodenum of the stomach. So I, but I kept asking, like, why would a healthy, otherwise, like healthy, I think it was what, 26 year old person have H. pylori? Like, I'm not a smoker. I barely drink alcohol. I am like, what is going on? And there really wasn't an answer. It's just, you could have this infection and I recommended an endoscopy and you could have X, Y, or Z. And me being the very stubborn individual that I was, I didn't immediately schedule an endoscopy because you're telling me that you're just going to put me on all these medications, like um, PPIs, we call them, and all these reflux medications and these antibiotics. And no one's going to be able to tell me like why I have H. pylori. And that's I'm a very stubborn, when it comes to my health, I'm very stubborn. So that was like my own fault that I didn't get immediately scheduled for an endoscopy when I truly needed one. I was in so much pain. I was losing so much weight. It really wasn't healthy, but that's just, I'm just very stubborn. So anyway, um, I believe I made it a few more weeks and then I just couldn't take it anymore. And I called back to get scheduled for the endoscopy. And um, that was really interesting because I told the doctor, I like, had a bunch of chocolate the day before to see if like, is it chocolate? Is it acidity? Is it, you know, is there something that is causing this pain? And uh, so I had the endoscopy and she said, I remember waking up and she's like, oh, you're not going to remember this, but I I did. And, you know, she, she showed a little inflammation, but they did some biopsies and the overall everything looked decent, but it really um, was just minimal. And I remember her saying that even viruses can cause this like chronic duodenitis. Um, and that this, and I remember breaking down crying, being like, are you kidding me? Like, this is just could be like a lifelong thing. I had actually had in the future, a client who was dealing with this. And I just can't, I just remember sitting on that bed and after my endoscopy being like, this is what you're telling me. This could be my life. Like I, I kind of refuse to accept that. Um, but I was still so sick at the time that I just was kind of flowing with it. So I get the endoscopy done and then I wait for pathology and the doctor calls me and she tells me that my um, pathology for the biopsies come back positive for celiac disease and if I had been tested for it. And I I had not when I was initially with gastro. Again, I think I had it in the past, but she said, okay, you need to get tested for celiac, but your biopsy was positive and kind of left it at that. Like nothing really much more about like a gluten-free diet or whatever. I went in, I got some labs done and my serology for celiac was negative, but because the biopsies were positive and at my follow-up, the nurse practitioner was like, yeah, you might be this like small population of people that are uh, positive biopsy, negative serology and wanted to do this um, genetic testing, which I never did because again, stubborn. I don't know why I didn't do it, um, but essentially be gluten-free and there you go. So that was my diagnosis. 14 weeks later, 14 pounds, when I did not have 14 pounds to lose, I will add, um, I was the smallest. I was 139, I think, when I, 138, 139 when I finally got on a scale in the spring. Um, and that was, again, like m- maybe my smallest at my height and in an unhealthy way. But I, because I wasn't exercising, I wasn't doing anything healthy. And my diet mainly consists of honey in the morning, maybe some crackers with some um, chicken, like, in the, for lunch and then maybe a dinner. I do remember though, when I, I had a lot, a lot of gut healing to do, but I remember when I removed gluten from my diet with it, it took about a month, but it was pretty drastic. Everything that happened, like not dealing with such a severe constipation, the diarrhea was gone. I didn't, and to this day, like I don't struggle like I did 
when I had diarrhea symptoms and people with IBS can kind of go like both ways um, in terms of having more constipation or more diarrhea or mixed. And I had no more diarrhea when I removed gluten. And I, the crazy thing to me looking back was even though I was a nurse, they never really gave me guidance on gluten. Like never really gave me information about, okay, yes, gluten is wheat, barley, rye, but you really need to be more aware also of like, you can't share fryers because if someone puts chicken tenders in that fryer and then you eat French fries from that same fryer, that's what we call contamination. And someone with celiac disease can't consume gluten, even the risk of contamination. And so what, what is celiac disease? I guess for people who don't know, it is an autoimmune disease, an autoimmune response to gluten, wheat, barley, rye. It's a part of those things. It's a protein. And people with celiac disease cannot consume that protein because it, our body negatively reacts to it. It actually causes issues within the intestine. They're called the, uh, the sprue or celiac sprue because it can impact the villi of our uh, intestines and that blocks the absorption of nutrients. So a lot of people who are celiac have celiac disease, especially untreated are lack like, um, they need to get tested for vitamin D and all these things and make sure that all of their labs are normal because they haven't been ab- absorbing nutrients. So I was kind of like fed to the wolves, I say in a way of like, okay, don't eat gluten. And that was it. And so I ended up doing having to do like a lot of deep of my own research and information and kind of trial and error um, because I didn't really understand this whole concept of like contamination and how important it was. Because people have celiac disease, we also have an increased risk for small bowel cancer and we can't just consume gluten. Like I can't just eat a cupcake and be like, oh, I'll suffer the consequences of it. I'll have bloating. No, that can actually cause permanent damage and people need to understand that. We don't try to be difficult by being gluten-free. It truly is a necessity. For some people, they just get symptoms of bloating. I have had episodes where I've accidentally consumed gluten and only had episodes of like very weird bloating and abnormal stool. And I, it happened recently and I was like, oh, I got glutaminated. But fortunately, I did not get the stomach pain. For me, the issue when I have been, I call it glutaminated in the past, is that severe upper left quadrant pain. And now I have had three babies, naturally, no meds. I would rather do that again than have these episodes of pain. I'm, I'm being serious for me. That pain is so awful and so severe. I get anxiety thinking about it happening. And that's why I don't right now even like I don't really consume anything that I don't prepare because I just have such high anxiety. Um, Even if someone tries to be nice and like make something for me, I really have a hard time with it because it induces so much anxiety about dealing with that pain. It actually um, one of these times I ended up in the hospital and I do not go to the hospital. Um, I'm very stubborn, like I've said, and I was in so much pain. I had taken a Zofran, which is for uh, nausea that I had on hand for these episodes. But one of the risks of taking Zofran is something called prolonged QT syndrome, which is a heart rhythm issue. And I, the pain was so bad. It was the middle of the night. I had my baby. I think he was like, I don't remember how many months old, maybe like nine or um, maybe like six months old or something. Or no, he was maybe nine months old. And it was so bad that I took a Zofran. It was a small dose. And then it sent me into QT. And then so I had to go to the hospital because I was in such severe pain and I had this heart thing. So anyway, 
Um, everyone has different symptoms. Some people have mild, some have severe, but it doesn't matter what your symptoms are. You can't just like have that cupcake just and deal with the symptoms. That is not for people with celiac disease and true celiac disease. You cannot do that. So that's kind of why actually I wanted to share my story. There are a couple of pieces I want to pull apart for you here because I know so many women, children, I get stories, uh, questions all the time about symptoms related to the gut constipation being a big one and in like what what are the steps you can take and the reason one of the reasons I want to create this episode is the awareness of celiac disease and the importance of diagnosis because again you can't have that cupcake but also gluten itself I am learning so much about gluten that I didn't know before and one of the major things I've been learning and reading about is how much our wheat and our grains are impacted here in the United States from pesticides and that that impacts the proteins, including gluten. And we, our bodies have just way over responded to it. So now we are seeing this, such this increase in autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's included, uh, celiac disease included, and all these people just reacting to gluten like they never have before. And it's likely related to the processing of our wheat and not necessarily the the product itself. So it's interesting when there are people who are reactive to gluten. Um, I hear that if you go over to Europe, their reactions to gluten are, if you don't have celiac disease, are like nil compared to the gluten over here, which is just wild to me. Like you could have a problem with gluten here, but go over to Italy and, you know, and indulge in pasta and be absolutely fine. I personally couldn't do that, but I'm saying for someone who reacts to gluten. And when I um, talked about earlier being a teenager and gluten kind of became a fad, um, at that time, a lot of people were noticing that their bodies were reactive to gluten, but it became kind of like a silly thing. I know there were a lot of like funny memes about it and funny videos and being needy and being gluten-free. It was trendy. Um, but now we know, I remember when I was starting to read more about gluten and then I actually did a project in my ma- um, with my master's degree about it, is that irritable bowel syndrome, so many people who don't even have celiac disease are reactive to gluten and gluten can cause all of the issues that I had. Now, I told you that when I was a teenager, had all these symptoms and you may be like thinking, did you have celiac disease then? Well, here's the thing. I don't think I did. Celiac is a gene and that people could be walking around with that gene and never have it activated. It's just part of them, but never, never have it activated. So they never have true celiac disease and that true response to gluten. It does not mean that they don't have like belly issues from it, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, etc. but they don't have the disease itself. I carry this gene. I've actually had genetic testing at this point, and I do carry one of those genes. And here's the thing, like my husband could have that gene, but not have ever, ever have any responses to it. So did as a teenager, did I have celiac disease? We don't know. It really doesn't matter. At some point, though, it got activated. And I think, again, my I got activated after getting this flu shot. Something in that trig- triggered that autoimmune response, and I developed celiac disease. And the reason that's important to know is a couple things. Remember I told you my doctor said that my mom didn't have it, and therefore I couldn't have it? So that's not correct. My mom could have the gene, 
but she has been tested for celiac disease and is negative. But she does have major responses to gluten, which is interesting. But just because your parent doesn't have it or has been screened for and is negative does not mean that you don't have it. Um, that is false. And that becomes really important because if you have concerns for your child and they're, the parents or the pediatrician asks you, well, do you have celiac disease or anyone else in your family have celiac disease? And you say no, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be tested because people could be walking around with the gene, but it's not activated, but it can activate in other people. So keep that in mind um, that you're, you don't have to have necessarily a direct um, person in your family who has celiac disease for you to have it. Now, it is important to know if someone, if especially a first degree relative, has celiac disease because you do want to keep that in mind, especially for like kids. Um, this is not medical advice, but this is just information and also um, what I've learned over the years and there it, there are guidelines for it. But my kids, for example, where I have celiac disease, my the the guideline is about three to be tested. My middle child has been tested and he was negative, but I do think he responds to gluten. And I think I've noticed that through like his well, we're dealing with this whole adenoid issue, which is a whole other story. But also I've noticed a change in his stools um, when he consumes gluten. So right now I have him gluten free. And we'll come back to that. My oldest has not needed blood work for anything. I do want to get him tested, but the only reason I haven't is because otherwise he is like no problems with his belly. He is happy. He is growing like crazy. I don't have concerns overall for him. Now that doesn't mean that he doesn't have celiac disease, but the risks with no other symptoms, I'm less worried about him. I will get him tested before he hits puberty. That is important as well. That's like a, a red flag thing or highlight because you want, we want to make sure, obviously, when our kids are growing, especially before they hit puberty, we want to ensure that they are not consuming things that cause issues with their gut, that they're not absorbing the nutrients that they need. So that is one of the things that we see or screen or test for when we have kids who have growth issues. And that's why having, you know, tracking growth is really important in young kids because we want to make sure that they're growing. I believe it's still at least three centimeters a year. And if our children are not adequately growing, that is a red flag and they should be screened for celiac disease um, because that can impact growth. I've actually caught that um, when I was in practice. I caught it on a couple of kids just from growth alone. So that is something to keep in mind if anyone, so say I didn't have it, but say my sister has a kid. My sister, I would want her to be aware if her kid ever had growth issues or any constipation issues or anything like that, they should be tested because they have an aunt with celiac disease. Um, and, and anyone like I had my sister check for celiac. I had my mom, my dad, I have not, but everyone first degree relative, I did want tested to ensure they didn't have it. And that I think is an important recommendation as well. My youngest child, um, who is two, the next, one of the times that he needs blood work, I will get celiac tested at some point. It gets a little complicated. I have only tested personally. I screened an under one-year-old for celiac disease because I had growth concerns, but mom and dad were also very petite. And I had this very long conversation with a gastroenterologist and an endocrinologist about it. And they said, "You, what you did wasn't wrong. Um, because you had concerns for growth, but there are the, the testing can be less specific, I think, um, under or sensitive. I'm not sure specific or sensitive 
under the age of one. So it's not typically something unless there's a growth issue that they will immediately screen for. Um, but after one, and that's just something, if there's growth issues, just expect that it's going to be part of the conversation or it should be part of the conversation for sure, regardless. And, um, regardless of family history, but if there's a family history too of auto, other, other autoimmune diseases like type one, it type one diabetes, that would be high on my list to keep in my head for sure. So when I say testing for celiac disease, what do I mean? That is a lab work. It's a blood draw. There are a couple things that are tested, TTG, uh, IgA, et cetera. But um, what's interesting you may hear in my story is like, well, Holly, you were tested and your serology, your blood work was negative but your biopsy was positive. Well, this is where things get a little complicated because the blood, I have not looked up the recent statistics, but I know that the testing for celiac disease is really sensitive and specific. It's supposed to be very high, but there's a very small population of people, of course, that had to be me, um, who are, are serology negative and biopsy positive. So then you're like, okay, well, if I'm having symptoms, then why should I trust this test? Well, usually I tell people, look, if you have significant gut issues like constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, um, or I should say if you have symptoms of like chronic things like constipation, diarrhea, but you don't have any what we call red flag symptoms, you're not vomiting, you're not losing weight, you're not a young child because that's something I would treat a little bit differently, but you're not really having like severe pain like I was having. You're just overall, your gut is just off. Um, and it's been a chronic thing, I would be tested for celiac disease. And if it was negative, then I would be comfortable, I guess, removing gluten from my diet and seeing how I do um, and see if it helps my gut. The reason that it gets, I get a, it gets a little tricky is if someone has drastic changes to their belly, like uh, night and day symptoms to the gluten response, the question becomes, should they have an endoscopy to confirm whether or not they have celiac disease? Because you have to know, again, can you have that cupcake or not? Can you indulge and just have some bloating? Or do you have true celiac and you can't have that cupcake? I get a little, it's a little uh, gray area there for me, I guess. So if someone has drastic responses to removal of gluten, it is something I would consider having an endoscopy to confirm it. The hard thing is you have to go back on gluten to have the endoscopy. So it's a little complicated again, because you have to know, like you have these responses to gluten. Can you have contamination or you can't? It gets a little tricky to me. And at the same time, I don't want to send 1200 people to go get an endoscopy done. But I do think if you have drastic, drastic changes, it is something to consider being very mindful of contamination um, or considering talk to your doctor about genetic testing. So genetic testing, um, I mentioned, and there is a gene, HLADQ, but I believe there are different variations of that, that if the person, if you have this gene, then your chances of celiac are higher. It doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily have it activated, but people, it's something crazy. Like I don't, I want to, I don't want to give an exact statistic, but very high populations of people with celiac disease carry this gene. So it's it's something to consider that if you carry this gene and you have drastic improvements to your body and your health when you remove gluten, I would consider having an endoscopy personally because I would just want to know, especially if I had other health complications. So I mentioned as an adult, I would be thinking about um, if I had like vomiting, severe pain, like why is my vitamin D so low? Why are I, why am I anemic? 
Why did I have growth issues? Why do I have fertility issues? That's a huge thing as well. Um, I would consider endoscopy for confirmation. Um, when it comes to kids, again, it's a little different, but I even think about constipation for kids, chronic constipation. Kids should be screened for celiac disease for sure. Um, kids that have growth issues or nutritional issues, um, those are the major things that I always consider celiac screening. And just because someone gets screened once does not mean that she never have testing again. Um, I would screen if I had kids like had been tested a year ago, but they're having symptoms of something else or severe, I would get them tested again. And again, if my kid had chronic vomiting or some other things, regardless of a negative serology, I would push for a possible endoscopy. And I am not one of these people who wants to put like kids under for anesthesia. Again, not medical advice. And I'm not pushing for anything in particular. I just take it that seriously. And you might be like, well, Holly, of course you take it seriously because you have celiac disease and you're, and you're right. But it's because I think in my practice, I caught at least two or three kids who had had chronic symptoms and had never been screened for celiac disease. And it's really important, especially, again, when we talk about growth and we talk about even fertility issues in the future for kids. It is something to think about. It is really important. So I am more of an advocate maybe for others. But also think about like this is what a provider told me when I was a teenager that was all incorrect information. And I was talking to someone at some point who put something out, I want to say on like Facebook of anyone here have celiac disease because I was kind of given this information and not given any information further of what to do and what to eat and what to not eat, et cetera. And have, after having a conversation with her, her provider told her, um, yeah, she can have gluten every once in a while. She's not going to feel good, but she could. And I'm like, that is absolutely incorrect information. And I'm not trying to like bash providers, but again, there is a lack of overall understanding and communication about celiac disease in its not it is so important that we completely remove and avoid all contamination of gluten i do so that's my um story that's how i was diagnosed and how i feel about it why we should be screened for it it's something we shouldn't miss etc um but i want to talk about briefly how it feels to have this diagnosis celiac disease um when i one of the major things is the emotional change. Um, I, it's been such a process now. I mean, I've, it, it's, this happened, um, my goodness, seven years ago now. So it's really been a process of healing, not only my gut, but my mind when it comes to food, because there was an instant almost depression that set in because I've always loved going to restaurants. I've loved having meals with my family. I used to go do it with my grandfather and instantly that was taken away from me. And even now, like people, I don't have date nights with my husband. And I joke with him, like, we can't have date nights because I can't eat anywhere. And like, I get it. We could do other things other than just having food. But it's not like we live in an area where has where we have like all these other activities outside of like if we go, you know, to the mountains or the beach or whatever. But like, it's, it's a huge part of our lives that has kind of been taken away. When we lived south of here, we had a lot more food options and we could have like those date things. But around me here, there really aren't any restaurants, especially now after getting, I've had glutamination a couple of times. There are really are no places that I trust. And that's really hard um, to like take that part away. My mom's gluten-free and has to be as well. And she said an endoscopy, which was negative too. So she doesn't have celiac disease, but she has severe responses to gluten as well. And just like taking that part of, or that option away from our life is really hard. And I know when I've gone to places and restaurants and, you know, the waiter, waitress will look at me and say, 
um, can I get you anything? And sometimes I'll ask and inquire about things and say like, you know, the salads or how they prepare and whatever. But oftentimes I just lead and say, um, I'm one of those really annoying allergy people. So I'm probably just going to have a water, but thank you. And sometimes they like smile and laugh and there are restaurants. There's one that like the owners have celiac disease. So I think, you know, there are options and with people, there's someone in the like who owns the restaurant who has celiac disease, they get it and I don't have to talk about it as much. But it's really at times embarrassing because I I want the waiter or waitress to understand that I'm not trying to be difficult, but unfortunately I will get severely ill. And because gluten, again, was such a trendy thing for a while, when someone asks, oh, is this gluten-free? Um, they're thinking, yeah, that salad doesn't have croutons on it. Like it's gluten-free, like stop being annoying. But for me, it's not just about the croutons. It's about, you know, is that salad prepared on the same surface as the garlic bread? And so that could be contaminated or even deli meats or on like on a salad or like you can't. One time I made the mistake. I ordered a burger somewhere. We were in D.C., And I ordered it without the bun and it came with the bun. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't have the bun. And they brought it back within like two minutes. I'm like, okay, so they just picked off the bread and gave it back to me. And I should have not eaten it, but I did. And then I got sick. And so it's this understanding. I want people to understand that I'm not trying to be just like this annoying person that it really makes me so ill. And I don't want to be this way. But unfortunately, when you're diagnosed with something like this, it really takes a huge part of your life away. It's taken me a long time in a way to, under, and, and there are still times that I really just wish I could go out to dinner with my husband and I can't. Um, but on the flip side of that, I try to remember that everything in our life is not a gift, but things happen to us, right? And we can't do anything about it. I can't reverse my celiac disease. And when I think about it, getting diagnosed with celiac disease was in a way a gift because it helped me to dive so much deeper into my relationships with food and my gut health and my gut microbiome and why I have issues with my gut, why my one of my kids has issues with his gut. It's really like made me dive into going back to my roots of like cooking and getting rid of high processed foods and finding joy and love for food. And again, cooking and not going out to eat and saving money and eating whole foods and exploring spices and exploring new flavors. I don't know if I would be where I am today if I didn't get diagnosed with celiac disease. I remember when I was pregnant with my first kid, I was craving a fried chicken sandwich and I couldn't do it. And it's awful when you have these cravings because I know what gluten tastes like. I know what the good the good stuff is and you can't have it. And it was awful. But what I did learn is like to make my own homemade fried chicken sandwiches and like chicken parm was one of the first things I learned to cook because my husband and I love chicken parm. And now I love like the one that I make. I can't even tell that I don't care that it's gluten free. I think it's amazing. And so I try to remember that this like was a gift in a way of um, you, you've given this diagnosis, you've got to run with it, you have no choice. And it really helped me to learn my relationship with food again and learn more about the gut microbiome and how we can support it and what doesn't support it. And whether you have celiac disease or not, um, you know, I talked to women that have irritable bowel syndrome or been diagnosed with it. I think that AB, uh, IBS is a lazy diagnosis. Um, because it doesn't get to a lot of the root cause and it could be celiac, but it could also just be this significant response to gluten and dairy. And I've like dove into that as well because I had a child that had um, dairy issues and still does and we're off of that for his gut. 
And um, speaking of that second child, you know, he, I think, does have gut responses to gluten. I don't think he has celiac disease, but I will get him tested in the future because I think his bowels change related to it. But I think overall his body is just more responsive to things that can be inflammatory like gluten, like dairy. Unfortunately, that can be really responsive in the body. Um, But I also wanted to tell you if you are, so say you've been tested and um, you're going gluten-free and you have no idea where to start. I'm actually working on a resource for people. That's my shopping list because I know that people want like, okay, give me lists, give me ideas. What do I do? Because this is going to be so complicated. You're telling me my kid has to go gluten-free. So say you're doing it for not celiac disease. You're just going gluten-free. It's a little easier because if things are contaminated with wheat, if you read a label and it says, you know, process on the same, um, process on the same, uh, what is it? Like when something is processed on the same facility or whatever that contains wheat, you don't have to be, you can eat that. You can consume that. You'll be okay. Um, But for someone like me, I have to look for certified gluten-free products. I have to make sure that things couldn't be contaminated with wheat. And that's really important. But if you don't have celiac disease, you just really have to start getting savvy with labels and shopping around the grocery store. You have to be careful of soy sauce. Teriyaki sauce is a sneaky one of gluten. But otherwise, I think really going back to whole foods and removing like all the stuff from the aisles. If you do that, you will inadvertently remove like 90% of the gluten that is in your diet. And it is hard. And the hard thing too, when I speak to this is the cost. Oh my goodness. Like my pasta is so much more expensive than the cheap one. And I get that. But again, we're looking at a cost of like how you feel. And so many people would feel, I didn't believe this. There are so many people that would feel better if they removed gluten from their diet. And you don't know unless you try. I think when I say this, people are like, oh, like another gluten-free. I don't want to do that. That's just a fad. You don't know unless you give it like a solid month effort or more to see how you feel. If you deal with chronic constipation, diarrhea, or bloating or things like that, and you give this a try, you might start to notice a drastic change to your bowels. Again, I don't think that the major reason that I had diarrhea as a kid was because I had celiac disease. I think I was sensitive to gluten. And when I took that away, I don't have those issues anymore. That is life-changing. I am not tied to a toilet. It's like, it's life-changing and that could be life-changing for you. I get it. Again, it's really hard, but um, in terms of like going to restaurants, but if you don't have celiac disease, there are so many restaurants now that are very mindful of doing gluten-free products um, or gluten-free menus. There's so many, there are so many options for you. Again, where if you develop celiac disease, that's where I have a conversation with someone who is coming on, um, Caitlin, who does um, coaching for people who are diagnosed because it's a little bit deeper. Again, we can't share fryers. We have to make that make sure that spaces are safe. And there is a hard part to that. Um, within your home having, I mean, I have my own oven, the top oven. We have two ovens. We are lucky. We have two ovens. The top one is um, gluten-free and the bottom one is not. I have my own toaster. Um, I don't cut bread on things or gluten or oh, we're constantly washing our hands. It's a completely lifestyle change. Um, 
But I will say again, from a stomach perspective, it's been life-changing. And I will try to finish up my gluten-free shopping list because if you are making that transition, I think it can just be helpful to know like what's in my pantry and what products I trust. But always read labels because things change. There were a few products during the pandemic that even my mom and I noticed used to be labeled as gluten-free and they're not anymore. Um, And that's really important. I think it's because there was a brief time that the FDA did not require them to do certain things with oats or whatever. And uh, that's very dangerous for someone like us who has celiac disease. So always read labels. And I know I mentioned going dairy free. I don't want I mean, this is already a long episode, so I don't really want to go into dairy free. I will make that as a separate episode because I do talk about that a lot with people. But I will work on that shopping list because I know that can be helpful just to have some guidance there. So overall, uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you got some, you know, little, a little bit more information, became a little more educated on this, um, became a little bit more aware. And if you're struggling with symptoms, you have a child struggling with symptoms, having that conversation and also having the confidence to say, you know, if a provider looks at you and says, well, you don't have it. So your kid doesn't have it and be like, actually, I've learned that that's not true. And I would like, the, you know, being an advocate and saying, I would really like this done because I know it can impact not only their gut, but their growth and et cetera. Um, If you have any questions about this, please feel free to send me a message on my Instagram at hollylogan underscore health. Um, I also have my website. I I am going to try to put up a blog post as well. And if you have any questions about anything related to celiac disease, I am um, more than willing to help. I will also get that shopping list out and have that on my social media when I get that done. But I and also be on the lookout for the next episode with uh, Caitlin, who um, is a health coach and among other things, but she has celiac disease and we talk about food allergies and all that fun stuff. So thank you. If you made it through this episode, thank you for being aware. Thank you for just, yeah, for just being here and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope you'll be back. Stay curious, stay humble, and always lead with empathy. Please also take a moment to share this episode with someone, this podcast, write a review or comment on my latest Instagram post at hollylogan underscore help. Thank you. Have an awesome day.